so meta. I love it. She's an aerialist. She's a traveling burlesque performer. She has the body of a goddess, the face of an angel. Her name is Kyla Ernst Alper. Kyla, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so (laughs) happy to have you. I'm so fascinated with your job. Okay, so how we came to know each other is that she heard Whitney Moore on an episode about the box you can go listen to it. And she hit me up and we started DMing. And I was like, well, bitch, I got to get you on because your life is fascinating. I don't know if you know a lot of aerialists. I don't know a lot of aerialists. And I think it's a really cool job. So I have so many questions. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I have some answers. <laughs> I'm excited. What are So you're in town. Tell mm-hmm. us what you're in town for because you live in New York. I live in New York. Yep. I live in Brooklyn. So I'm in town to perform at the Hollywood Burlesque Festival. I'm doing the classic show on opening night. Um, I have a Sid Charisse-inspired act, uh, very inspired by her performance in Singing in the Rain. There's this iconic scene. Um, Gene Kelly is having, like, a fever dream, and she appears, um, and the camera starts on her foot, holding his hat, and then pans up her gorgeous leg, and then she does a dance, and he dances with her, But and I love him, and he's one of, like, the people who has really inspired me, um, but sh- it's really all about her. And so, yeah, I have this act that is, that's inspired by that. And I end up going up into the air. She was not an aerialist, but I bring it into the air. That is so cool. Mm-hmm. We're going to do our opening questions. But quickly, I just want to ask, like, how did you get involved? Were you a, you were probably a ballet dancer? I'm gay, yeah, yeah. A yeah. lot of people, do a lot of people come into this field through dance or just gymnastics? Or how do people enter this field? It's still a pretty new, like contemporary aerial is very new. Aerial has been in the circus for hundreds of years, but this kind of performing is kind of, I don't, we can talk generations, like it's not even like the person who could be my parent, but a person who's 10 years older than me is of another generation of aerial because it's so new. Um, And so I was a ballet dancer starting when I was 16, and then I became more of a contemporary dancer. I quit dance for a year. I got pulled back into it by this company that had seen me perform before, and they were basically like, "Uh, we know you're still in shape. One of our dancers is injured. We go on tour in two weeks. Do you want to do it? And so I did um, because, you know, it was a tour in Mexico. Um, yeah, obviously yeah. you had to go. Like, hell yeah. And um, it turned out they were also working with circus performers and um, just starting to try to train some of their dancers to do circus. And this is before, like, if you go way back into my Instagram, it's when we were using those original Instagram filters. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, way, way in the early, early days of Instagram when it was just, like, three people who followed me and liked my posts kind of thing, right? So so there wasn't that kind of like global sharing of skills and like an, a global awareness of what somebody was doing in other locations. Um, it really exploded a couple years after. Um, so even training was like harder to find really high quality training unless you were like multiple generation circus family or you were in a circus school and at that time it was really like the circus school in San Francisco and one in Montreal and like it was there was just like not the amount of aerial um, education that we have now so they were kind of like you're gonna go in the air and do this and I was like I am afraid of heights and this is terrifying but okay (laughs) oh my god and um I have this tendency to like be uncomfortable and scared of things and so then I'll lean into it more um and so I did that and I was just like okay (laughs) I'm very afraid of heights I have no upper body strength at all let's do this that is so interesting Mm -hmm. and then obviously you know, as a circus, you think of traveling circus. So there's a lot of travel built into the job. And was that something that you were, had you traveled a lot before that? Or was that kind of like, oh, I want to do this so I can like see the world and use my art to do it? (laughs) No, there was like, no, a lot of my life um, is like, I work really hard for something. uh, And then I'll like 
on an impulse or something spontaneous will happen like this. So I was already touring. I had, before I quit dancing, I had toured a lot as a dancer. Um, and so part of getting pulled back into dance, I was like, oh, I, I miss the touring. I miss waking up and not knowing like where I am. <laughs> like totally. I actually kind of love that feeling. Yeah. Living out of a suitcase is, is really to me it's really lovely like you don't have the chaos of everything at home and like the practical things to deal with it's Mm -hmm. sort of this fantasy life um but that's not I was just sort of you know okay here like I have to learn this stuff very um kind of just like focused on like the immediate future of this is really hard I'm interested in it I want to do it and then opportunities started to open up because I became obsessed and just started training a lot. And I already had the lines and the performance ability and like quality of movement from dancing. And so then people looking back hired me to do things before I was really ready, before I was strong enough, but I could kind of fake it. Um, and there's like the traveling circus, you know, like very traditional circus. Um, and I haven't really done that. Um, I've been more focused on what I would call like contemporary circus, artistic stuff, storytelling, even if it's an abstract story. Um, so I, for a bit, I was doing these like circus slash dance gigs and those took me to really cool places um and then I started getting hired for corporate events which was a really nice way to start paying my rent um yeah and then um working in nightlife and then I kind of was like you know was really interested and fascinated by burlesque and started working more in those like um, shows where there was burlesque and circus and um, it's all kind of like umbrellaed under illegitimate theater um, and the idea that we're breaking the fourth wall and that's an integral part of what we do is like making eye contact with the audience acknowledging the audience and I really fell in love with that way of performing as opposed to being on the stage and the audience is in the dark and you're presentational but not really intimate Totally. Um, so there's that connection with the audience. Mm-hmm. That, I love that. That is so interesting. It's totally fascinating. So that's a great intro. We're going to get into the, some opening questions, and then we're going to get right back into everything else, learning all about what you do. Um, so interesting. So like I told you, and like you've maybe heard, mm-hmm. we love to talk about shit on this pod. Yes. Okay? We don't, we don't shy away from the good stuff. Okay? So you come on the pod, you know what you're getting. Yes. Tell us about your most epic diarrhea story while traveling. Okay. Well, let me preface this by saying I was chronically constipated (laughs) for most of my performing life. Thank you for sharing. Um, (laughs) Because I was a ballerina and I was a very anorexic ballerina. Okay. So, um, and I was on birth control for a very long time from when I was very young. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that also was like increasing my constipation. So I I do have a, a other story for you, but I have distinct memories of being on tour in Europe with a dance company. And I had somehow discovered three ballerina tea, which <gasps> basically is like the most horrible thing. Like I have never tasted anything so terrible in my life, but it makes you shit. It makes you shit. We had that shit. Okay, so I went to an arts boarding school. Do you know Idlewild? Yeah. Okay, I went to Idlewild. Yeah. And we discovered ballerina tea because there were so many ballerinas yeah. as one of the majors at the school. So for people listening, Idlewild is like fame, but even gayer. Um, we It's a board, arts boarding school. There's several majors. And there was the dance majors. And they discovered ballerina tea at the Chinese store in town. And so we all then were like, yes, because we're all like 16-year-old anorexics. And we all drank it and shit our fucking brains out. It's and it was so, bad. so gross. It's such a strong laxative tea. It is vile. Like, if like you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. and you wish you didn't know. But, okay. But I, like, could not, like, for, for my little tiny body, and I just remember, like, this one choreographer who would straight up come into our dressing room and be like, you're all fat. And, you know, I look back and I was so skinny, like skinnier than now. And but it's also just insane that they would say that to you. This is old school. Yeah. This is, like, the yeah. old school dance. Yeah. And, um, Before TikTok. Oh, way before, way <laughs> before. This before is... we knew, shut the, we can't talk like that anymore. Yeah, no, this was pre all of that and we were so abused and, but like I just couldn't poop and it'd be like 
that like the flying constipated me even more and so yeah I would be like in the bathroom like pressing on my belly just like trying to get out and it there's like nothing feels so terrible as trying to dance like being in a costume being on stage and just like feeling like oh my god like it's like up like way high in my guts like it is not even close to coming out but I can feel that it's there okay. I was constipated I would like bring my little like pack my little tea bags and oh, be like okay if I if I really am constipated I'm gonna drink this foul tasting I mean tea. I guess it's a good travel tip if you get constipated while traveling ballerina nothing can survive that no no it's- even the most constipated little <laughs> it's like an er- a magic eraser for your colon it really is Okay, so yeah. that is so you're the so opposite problem. Opposite. But I was in Korea. Um, I think it was like a two or three week tour that we did. And the final city, um, which I forget, my, my memory is bad now. But the final city, they put us up in a sex hotel. And, um, like, there were mirrors that went all the way up the walls to the <laughs> ceiling. And, like, they, like some old guy would come in to clean the room but leave his, like, cigarette ash on the floor. Amazing. Like, just that and it was like kind of magical and we're like oh this is sort of delightful but you know and bizarre like it's it's like a fun experience to have um but we uh I'm not sure when or where it happened you know we're all like very underpaid modern dance does not pay well and um I think I can blame it on when we like tried to cobble together our own group meal in one of these rooms, <laughs> but I was, I was the first one to really get sick and we're all like after a show at a dinner and I could, and I have a stomach of steel. Like I, I, I don't get diarrhea. I don't vomit. None of that. And I started to feel real nauseous and I had the sense to somehow find a cab I don't know how I'm in Korea I don't speak Korean and maybe somebody helped me get a cab and I barely made it back to the hotel ended up puking my guts out like as I was opening the door to my hotel room and then it was both ends for like the remainder I can't even remember if I had to do a show or not like it like is kind of blank I got somehow got back to New York like no food and it took me like three weeks to recover from whatever this was. And then everybody else in the company also got this. An international bug, it takes a while. Your body while. just doesn't know what to do. They're like, this is literally a foreign invader. I don't know how to handle this. Um, okay, the second opening question mm-hmm. is, have you ever gotten like a really intense fight while traveling? Or just if you haven't, something that really annoys you when you're traveling? Yeah, well, so for a while I worked with somebody who was never on time. Oh my God, you are speaking to my soul. Okay, please continue. And I'm, I'm, I'm like type A working on being less type A and I, I like where I've gotten myself now. I think I'm like a chill, very chill type A. It's like, it's taken a lot of work and therapy, (laughs) but, um, and I think maybe working with this person helped me get there. Um, but they would miss flights and I just learned to do my own thing, not like to get myself to the place and then they can show up whenever, um, to get myself onto the flight by myself. Um, the times that we traveled together was, were, it was nerve wracking and that like, I can't, I don't like that adrenaline, like that kind of adrenaline is not cool. <laughs> I, I can't, nothing boils my blood more than like late people. And I, and I feel like we get, we, the early people are the ones that get like the bad rap because it's like, chill. Why are you so intense? Like, why can't you just relax? It's not a big deal. Like we get the, but I'm like, no dude, why can't you get your shit to get like set alarms? Like be early. I don't, it's not this is not neurosurgery. Like I, I, I just, we, we are the ones, the early people are the ones that get the bad rap, but I feel like we're just responsible and we're mindful of people's shit and their time. Yes. And also if we miss the flight, the whole thing gets fucked up. Yes. So like just get there. <laughs> okay. Now let's get into like the actual, like really, cause you're just such a juicy guest. I have so many questions. First of all, I really have to praise like anyone, a ballet dancer, aerialist, like, the shit you do is so incredible and so hard. And I just feel like I have so much respect for what you do because I think it requires 24-7 diligence. Like, and I'm yes, just, I mean, it does. Awesome. yeah. <laughs> like what, what would you say? So like when you are, are on the road and touring, 
it's so hard on your body as it is. Like, what do you do to stay in shape and take care of your body since what you do for a living is so hot, is so hard on your body already? Yeah. So I think one is that I don't care what other people think about me. So I am that weirdo stretching um, while waiting f- for the airplane. Like, I don't sit in a seat. When I'm waiting to board the plane, I'm standing, I'm doing lunges, I'm just like super, sometimes I forget what, oh yeah, I was flying to Nashville to do a gig and normally I don't fly the same day that I have to perform. I'm like pretty strict about that, but this was a situation where I was okay with that. I was, I took my TheraBand out, I tied around a railing and I was doing my shoulder PT TheraBand exercises while waiting to board. Like, you know, I get to the airport early, yeah, so I'm chill and then I'm there just like that, that weirdo just doing it. Um, so I do that and then, um... I, I don't know, I don't overplan, but I do try to, like, my body just needs to be put back together kind of every day, and maybe I'll take a day off, and, you know, yesterday, was it, yeah, yesterday was a travel day, so it's like, I'm not going to work out, um, but I went for a walk with my cousin, and, you know, after I landed, and I did my weirdo stretching before I <laughs> boarded the flight, and then today I, you know, found an aerial studio and went to class, and, you know, Um, did that and then in you know hotel rooms or bedrooms or whatever like there's things that you can do with very little space um, without like a full gym setup and so I just do that I always have therabands in my backpack like always good tip I imagine that the network of dancers and circus is quite smaller and more of a small town than maybe other industries just because there's less people who know how to do it right yeah is that primarily like how you're getting gigs around the world or what, like, are you part of a, an agency or a part of a network? Like what is, how, how are you, how does somebody break into the burlesque and aerial community and then start getting jobs in that field? Yeah. So I think it's, it's evolved. It's a little bit different now than it was when I started. I started approximately 15 years ago. Um, and wow. at that point my niche was like dance companies that incorporated aerial and, then I got pulled into some gigs where there was a kind of contemporary classical band that wanted contemporary circus with it. And, and I did I danced and I improved sometimes in the air on the ground. And I worked worked with other artists who kind of had that crossover of dance and circus. Um, and I think for me it was like uh, – Getting started was a combination of, I was already well-established in the dance world in New York. And so then I started training at some circus spaces and people noticed me because of the lines and my quality of movement. And so I got offered some stuff and I had some instructors who started to be like, oh, here's, you know, there's this gig. And I don't know, it just kind of happened. And, Mm. you know, I look back, um... And I wish that I knew more. Like I, like I said, like Instagram wasn't a really big thing. Like the information wasn't really out there the way it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a more mysterious world and I didn't fully understand it. And like now I can say, oh yeah, so there's like the classic circus and those are often intense and you can get a gig with that company and or that show and kind of be touring around and you know they you know unpack literally unpack the tent and set it up and do the whole show and I think that's really cool I've just never done it um there's the cruise ship gigs um which pre-covid were pretty awful um like performers were performing for months every night without a day off and now it's completely transformed um, and these contracts are much more desirable because there's there's actual rest days and performers are treated more like humanely Mm -hmm. um so for me I was like fuck that I'm not going on a cruise ship where I have to work every night and I'm trapped on a on a boat like that seems terrifying and now I'm like oh if I could get a two-month contract I would totally do that that's so cool Um, yeah and um So, and then, yeah, I just, I got known in the sort of um, cabaret, nightlife, nightclub circuit, and it's very, like you said, it's really small, Um, and then for the corporate jobs, which are the ones that maybe are soul-crushing sometimes, um, I mean, the most soul-crushing is, like, you know, I did a Sweet 16, and literally, like, the kids just did not care, 
<laughs> you know, it's like, like they've just, like I said, they've seen it all before. They're so rich and spoiled that they really don't care. Yeah. Um, but there are some where they're really excited and, um, you know, like usually the best ones are like small children who get really excited. I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe someday they'll want to do something artistic and creative because they saw me and I'm one of their first memories of, you That's know, special. That, yeah. so that feels special. But even the crappy, those crappy gigs where it, they're soul crushing, I'm like, well, this is an exercise in like, how do I handle an awkward performance or a rough crowd? Yeah. Right. And just like ignore that they're shitty and just do it for myself. Totally. Um, and I think that's uh, that's actually a useful skill to practice and to be forced to practice. But anyway, so those gigs, there's several different producers and you just get known by those producers and mm. some of them <clears throat> to break in. Maybe you have to submit to them over and over and over until they trust that you can like show up and be professional and behave yourself and be on time and not do coke with the audience. <laughs> not do, yeah. Yeah. And and um yeah, and like know how to do just know how to do your hair and your makeup and, and You have to do all your own hair and makeup? Yep. Wow. Yeah, yeah. They don't even give you the hair and makeup? No. Cirque du Soleil does. Um uh some of my friends are working for a cabaret show in New York where they have a makeup artist come in and tell them like this is how like it's a contract. So mm-hmm. they you know, they're contracted for a year or six months or whatever and they do the same show a couple nights a week. And a makeup artist will come in and be like, This is your makeup for this show. This is how you'll do it every time. Yeah, oh, but yeah. in general that doesn't happen. Okay. Yeah. So tell me about some of the most magical and like cool places that traveling as an aerialist has taken you. Um, yeah, so when I was dancing, I got to go to some really amazing places, um, and places that I would never go otherwise, and also for Ariel. Um, so one of the coolest, uh, was an Ariel gig in Dubai. We performed in the food court of a mall. Shut (laughs) up! We did an eight-minute show twice a night for, like, five days or... 10 days I forget how long we were there um I you know again I've done so many things I can't remember the details but they gave us they gave us a flat that um, we were flown over from here and they gave us a flat and took us to the grocery store we bought a bunch of groceries and we could walk to the beach so it was I think this time of year maybe um wasn't crazy hot so we could go to the beach and hang out and then do our hair and makeup, go over to the mall, do our eight-minute show, take a break, do our eight-minute show again. And then the producer that brought us over was a real sweetheart, and he wanted to show us, like, a good time. So he brought us to – he, like, rented a van and deflated the tires, and we went on the sand dunes at night. That's so fun. Yeah, it was was just, like, you know, we went to all the crazy shopping malls and, like, the whole experience of, you know, fountain shows and just how huge everything is. I would never go to Dubai otherwise. Um, And we ended up – the producer was Egyptian. He was also a performer. He was lovely, drove scary fast in this – sports car <laughs> like I, I thought I was gonna die every time we got in this car and he somehow I really like I don't know how this exactly this happened we went with him to a nightclub and I think we ended up meeting this other Egyptian guy at the nightclub and then he was throwing a party for himself at his hotel <laughs> and it was like a multiple level suite like balconies and rooms and kitchens in this hotel suite it's like the height of luxury yeah and um this guy this Egyptian guy had dreadlocks and um uh I later found out was like the heir to some you know like whatever you know like he some prince something and um so we're at this party and I guess, I don't know, he just, he and I just, like, decided that we liked each other. I think we were talking about film, filmmaking or something. So I ended up, like, I think I spent that night, I spent a couple nights. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, and it was, it was really fun. And somehow I also, like, managed to meet back up with my friends. And I look back, I'm like, that was stupid and crazy. <laughs> like, but it's fun. But <laughs> really fun. Um, but yeah, I remember like getting into a cab with him from a nightclub. And I'm used to, you know, when you're with a dude and you're like getting in a cab to go back 
to you know have fun you're like you'll like get close to each other and he was like no no no, you got to sit over there because they're dubai this was a while ago but it's like very progressive and fine for americans or people from you know out of the country coming in but there's still some pretty strict rules like you can't just make out yeah. Like, which is so weird to me. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. You can't hold hands. You can't be like, like, there, I, I kind of remember there being signs. Like, you can't physically, like. At the club either? Um, The club might have been a little different. But just but sort of in public much. spaces. But in public spaces. Not, yeah. Yeah. And um, it was just a really bizarre experience for me to be like, uh, oh, okay, we're just going to sit in this cab awkwardly waiting to go have sex with each <laughs> yeah. other and we met 20 minutes ago yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. um what are some other places that you've been that yeah. you've gone to through through um, Ariel so um well actually so this one's a, a dance one um we were doing a tour of North Africa oh my god you've yeah. been to so many cool yeah. places um and like so I got to go to Morocco and that was amazing and then in Tunis we stayed at this incredibly luxurious pink hotel on a beach, and it was sort of the off-season, so the only other people there were this large group of Saudis and then us. Do you remember the name of the hotel? No. Okay. It was pink. The, it the was, pink hotel in Tunis, Tunisia. <laughs> it was so beautiful, and just like, how is this real life? You know, the rooms were gorgeous. They had all these delicious treats when you went into the room. It was just such luxury. Uh, which is a real contrast to other places that I went with this company. It was like you never knew if you were going to get like the most luxurious place ever or like barely a room with a bed that my feet hung off of and stained sheets. Like It was like opposite ends of the spectrum. But That's this was so just absolute luxury and that was amazing. And then we went to Jordan and we were being – our tour was sponsored by the U.S. Embassy and they do this – um, they'll bring like performing arts companies to other countries as part of like a cultural exchange or sort of this like goodwill thing. And I don't think a lot of people know about it, but it's a thing that happens. And so we were brought, you know, to these places. And then we went to um, Jordan and we taught some classes with some local students. And that was really great. And then we um, we're going to perform at a beautiful theater and s- there was some bombing or something in Israel mm-hmm. and um, the government or U.S. government was really uncomfortable and nervous and so we did our rehearsal as scheduled um, and special guests were invited to watch our rehearsal so it was essentially a performance and then the next day they canceled the performance and they actually bust us out of the city oh my god and they sent us to a spa on the dead sea and gave us spa treatments like okay we we forgive them it was just so you know it's so bizarre it's like this you know nerve-wracking horrible like maybe it was um a Hamas leader was killed or you know it was like it was something where they they were just sort of like we don't want to be publicizing that there's an American company here in Jordan we feel like that makes you guys a target totally so let's get you out and give you this spa treatment (laughs) and you get to hang out in the Dead Sea you were like I'll take it yeah (laughs) sure okay well that that leads into some horrible experiences you might have had because it sounds like do you do you get to pick where you stay or they just sort of tell you where you're staying if somebody else is paying for it I don't get to pick okay but the rate's the same and like the setup's the same for whatever the gig is no oh really okay (laughs) and are you negotiating for yourself yeah I'm hustling I'm negotiating one freelancer to another I'm with you in this game bitch I get it yeah it's it's a lot so actually just on that note like there was a gig that was going to happen in the Bahamas Mm -hmm. and they wanted to fly me and um, an aerialist to the Bahamas to do multiple acts incorporating with a band and some other performers and so that means like pretty intense rehearsals for a day and then the next day perform basically a show that we've created and that was this was with classical Indian dancers and a live band and us right so it wasn't we just like pop in and do our thing we had to integrate and so they wanted us to fly and then jump into the, uh, jump into rigging which anybody who doesn't really understand 
And Ariel thinks that it can happen in just like a couple minutes, but it can take up to hours depending on the scenario. There's no, like, you're not walking into every single venue and everything is the same. Like, how do you, like, what kind of, what are you even hanging from? In this situation, it was a trust system, but you just kind of never know. And you have to end up asking tons of questions and build trust really fast yeah like so much and they had a rigger who we had never worked with who was being flown in from Canada and so that always makes me very nervous um if it's somebody I don't know that can you know it can go either way they could work three ways they can be just okay they can be incredible or they can be a total nightmare this guy was amazing, so we really lucked out, but they wanted us to fly and then jump into rehearsals for these three numbers and then the next day perform. And I just said, absolutely not. Like, we cannot travel like this, do rigging, warm our bodies up in a safe way, and then get through three, like the creation of three numbers. And they're like, well, that's, you know, you have to, we're not going to put you up in the hotel an extra night. And I was like, well, then we won't do the gig. And I was, I had been through enough of these horrible experiences of kind of desperately wanting the gig. And so being like, okay, I'll compromise. We'll make it happen. And I was at a point where I was firm in, um, this, this isn't going to happen. I had had a fall on one gig and I was okay from, and then on another gig, I watched somebody fall. And so I was really, you know, like, this is real. (laughs) And if, if we're in a, if we're being rushed and if we're tired, this is all a, you know, real true setup for, you know, at worst, you know, worst, like worst case scenario, death and at least like a sprained finger or, you know, which then ultimately puts you out of work for a while. Exactly. You lose money then. Exactly. Like like, the, you know, boundaries around safety are just like, if people think they're they're overly dramatic, whatever, it's like, if what's the risk? What are we talking about here? You fall and hit your head. I mean, it's like, I don't, what are we talking about? Right. Spend 300 bucks and put me up for another night. What the hell are we talking? What are we, what? So yeah, good yeah. for you for staying strong on that. And I didn't know if that gig was going to happen up until a few days before. And they finally budged? And they finally budged okay, because good. we wouldn't. And, and because the classical Indian dancers were like, these are the people we want to work with. So. And I hope they were like, and they're right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, okay, so tell me about some of these, I mean, what, what, what was the experience when you hurt yourself? What happened? So this was actually in Korea, and it's when I was doing aerial and dancing with the company, and the flight to Korea is long. Yeah. Um, we are flown economy, mm-hmm. right? Like, we're rarely are we treated to, like, business class. Mm-hmm. Never, actually. Um, and so we're flown economy. They brought us to see the theater, and this is this has happened twice to me now. Um, the second time it happened, it was when I was flown to India. And then instead of just taking us to a hotel so we can rest, they're like, "Let's go see the theater." I don't need to see the fucking theater. I just need to lay on my back. Um, so they took us to see the theater. The next day, we were in rehearsal all day, and um, I was like I said, I was dancing and doing a couple of aerial acts and. In the rehearsal studio, we'd been practicing at like 15 feet, and it was a big hammock that connected to a fabric hanging straight down. And at one point in the piece, I transferred from the hammock to the fabric. Well, in this gorgeous theater in Korea, it was proper theater, so it's like, I don't know, 25 feet to the top and then another 25-ish feet of fly space. And our rigging was connected all the way up, so we're talking like 50 feet of rigging hanging down so I'm not up 50 feet but that's 50 feet of cables that have a lot more movement than at 15 feet when it's dead rigged to a ceiling and so when I went to do that transfer there was so much swinging and motion that instead of just like easily transferring over there was all this motion and it flung me out and I fell oh my god my heart luckily I had I had the stint as a martial artist when I quit dancing for a, a microsecond, and I had done all this like crazy martial arts conditioning where we would go out in the park and do dive rolls and back rolls and all this stuff. So my instinct kicked in, and I just sort of landed in a roll and rolled my way out. And the only thing that was really injured besides a little bit of bruising was I sprained a finger that I had like I tried to sort of grab on the yeah. way down. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. That is so terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. 
this one, you know, I'm 22 maybe. So this is a long time ago. (laughs) This is before Poland was part of the EU. And I was with a dance company and we had performed in Hungary and the next stop was Poland. And to save money, the dance company booked us on an overnight train instead of a flight. Uh These cheap motherfuckers. Yes. So we're, you know, and in a train, there's the train cars. And so the car that we were in, it was our whole dance company, two people per room in these tiny little bunk beds. And the director was like, we're going to do male, female in each room to be safe. Sure. So (laughs) we're in these bunk beds. The pillow is, you know, like nothing. So I put my purse under my pillow. I was on the top bunk. My friend Sean was on the bottom bunk. And um, there was a conductor and he would like come through selling beverages or whatever. And he spoke English. And we had to wake up a couple times to show our passports, our travel papers. Like people came on the train. This is like really old school. <laughs> and they like checked our travel papers on this train. Okay. <laughs> and then and then um next thing I remember, and I, I like I mentioned when you know I first walked in, like I have a hard time sleeping. Mm-hmm. Sleeping is very hard for me. Well, I was awakened by the conductor's face in my face saying get up get up we're here and here's some coffee and he like handed me coffee and then I hear shrieking from down the hall and somebody says I've been robbed and there's all this commotion and I like get up and I'm like really groggy and I look down and Sean is just like sitting like in shock and we realized that his video, his camcorder, this is back when we had camcorders, his camcorder was stolen. My camera was stolen. No. The purse that I had been sleeping on top of was put back under my head, but they had taken it, opened it, removed things of value, closed it, and put it back under my head. Without you even noticing. Without me noticing. And so what happened is they went through our car, they gassed, they put in sleeping gas. Oh, what? Yes. And this is like a thing that happened back that I don't think it happens anymore. They but put it, sleeping gas? Yeah, so they knocked us all out. We I'm were literally all... triggered by gas in Poland. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. This is too much. It's too a lot. Much. It's a lot. <laughs> oh, my God. So we were we were drugged and robbed. And then, of course, the conductor no longer spoke English. And because we were a – it was a Hungarian train that then arrived in Poland. I think this was so common. The Polish police were just sort of like, oh, there's nothing we can do because it's a Hungarian train we can't do anything about it I'm shook by this story yeah this is a crazy story that's like some shit that would happen in a movie yes so you couldn't do anything about you couldn't get any of your shit back no none of my stuff and then did you have a phone or anything um I mean, I don't know. Twenty. I don't know. This was a long time ago. Yeah. I think they. They. I had a flip phone that they stole. <laughs> like, oh like, my god! Yeah. Um. They left me my passport, which was kind of wild. But thanks, guys. Yeah. Um. But like the money, you know, yeah. everything of value, anything that was of value, yeah. um, was yeah. taken and. Uh, then I got an eye infection, and the director of the company was kind of a jerk. And he, I, they sent me to the hospital by myself in Poland. No, nobody was speaking English. Um, and then I had to navigate my way to a pharmacy to get the prescription. And it was Insanity. I ended up quitting. I ended up quitting that company when we got back to the states. I like. We, they decided to not file an insurance claim because they didn't want their insurance to go up. And so I like wrote a whole letter to the board of directors, you know, here's the scenario. Here's how little money we earn in rehearsals. Um, What are you going to do about this? And the only person who got in touch with me was a lawyer who was on the board of directors. And so I ended up quitting the company. Oh my God. The shit you've been through, girl. That's (laughs) wild. Okay. You came in hot with some <laughs> really good stories. Like, honestly, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry these things happened to you, but I'm it's like, I can just laugh. I can laugh about it now. I mean, it's been a while. And it's, yeah, yeah, it's been a while. But damn. Yeah. For a while, though, I would like booby trap rooms that I would sleep in. 
Yeah, I mean, like I would put prop things and furniture up against doors and windows, mm. at, like as if. But you know, they drugged me, so there wasn't anything that any of that would have done. But it was just my like weird. I don't do that anymore. I've gotten over it. But. Okay, I'm glad you've healed. <laughs> I mean, I understand if you still yeah. did, because I know lesser things that have happened. People and they're like, I still put the dresser in front of the door if I have to. But I've seen too many true crime documentaries. Yeah. Um. Wow. Well, do you have any certain performances? So not necessarily the place, but could it could be informed by the place. Just performances that you've done that you were like, this was so magical and special. And like, what made them so special to you? Yes. Um, so there's a couple. One, and I, I should have looked up the name of the venue, but there was this concert venue in London. And usually I'm on either, you know, like theater stages or in nightclubs, Um but not generally like a big epic rock concert stage. I've had more of these experiences since, but this was my first one. And it was a Torture Garden event. Torture Garden is um, a event and party uh, organization in the UK, although they've now expanded and they do events. Um, they do some in LA, they do New York, um, and it's all fetish. And that is the most fun crowd to perform to. They are so excited to be there. Um, they're excited to do whatever kinky stuff they're going to do after the performances. The performances are kind of like the icebreaker warm-up um, or kind of like intermission for the kink and the kink experience. And the, the performances are generally kinkier, um, sexy, What you know, um, kind of in like getting people really in the mood. Okay. And so the audience in like it's, you know, packed concert venue and the MC introduces myself and the person I was performing with and our name is projected on the, you know, behind us on stage. And it was like, oh, I was like, oh, this is what it's like to be a big pop star, a rock and roll star to That's have so like fun. this. It just felt so good. Like I said, that was my first big, and I had performed in big theaters, but that's more reserved. Mm -hmm. Like when people are standing at a fucking concert and like screaming for you, it's yeah. like really cool. So you're, you're choreographing all your own, your own dances. Generally. Yeah. Generally it's rare that somebody else is telling me what to do aerial wise. Mm -hmm. um, at the box, when I create acts with them, I'm working with a creative director. And mm -hmm. so I'll come in with an idea mm -hmm. and then they'll work with me to boxify it. Um, and we have stagehands and props and things like that that can get incorporated. And so that's really fun. But for the most of the other like nightlife cabaret legitimate theater work I do, it's all my concept. What was, like, the inspiration to bring some more sexy vibes into your art? Like, how did you get into burlesque and doing more? So for people who don't know about the box, can you just briefly touch on what that is and, like, I mean, how you entered into that world of, like, sort of kinky, burlesque, sexual, yeah. dance-informed, aerial, all that? I think I, I, I just kind of fell into it, um, mm -hmm. like, a lot of my life. <laughs> um, and... Uh, I so the first dance company that I worked with was a contemporary ballet company and the director was kind of he was a lot a perv and so everything was very sexy or sexual and sometimes it was comedic and it wasn't always purely sexual but um looking back it was and you know I was a teenager when that was my job um and he wasn't, he was old school. He would throw things at us. He would have temper tantrums. Um, he would curse us out and that whole thing. Um, and, uh, but it was that old school mentality. Of, I'm going to tear you apart. I'm going to tear you down and kind of build you back up. And, um, but again, like very, just very sensual movement wise and so even through dancing and all the other dance gigs I kind of got which is funny because like you know I have no boobs <laughs> like I was born without boobs and yet like I'm I'm in I kind of end up getting into these roles of like a very like sexual fem femme um performer and that would often happen in in these like more concert dance gigs mm -hmm. and stuff so I think it's just it's it's in me. Um, when I was a small child, I was obsessed with Josephine Baker. Mm -hmm. I have very progressive parents. So like I knew who she was. I learned all about her. I had books filled with photos of her. And, um, 
so, you know, showgirls and nude showgirls were kind of a part of my like dream world from when I was a small child like there's drawings of headdresses like gowns with headdresses that I you know I was making when I was really little um and um going back to the act that I'm performing this week like Sid Charisse was one of my idols and the way that she moves is incredible she moved she's no longer alive is incredibly sensual you know I was obsessed with like old old musicals and Mm. film stars and that whole thing so I think it all just kind of came together when I kind of fell into nightlife like I was just offered work Mm -hmm. and then it all just sort of opened up. And like I said, when I was in the dance world, I was kind of put in those roles. I remember, gosh, I was in my very early 20s. I was working with a smaller dance company in between other gigs. And we did um, an immersive kink show at Madame X, which is a place in New York that's been around forever. And I remember that was the first time I really encountered kink. Um, there was a man rolled up in a carpet in front of the bar and like all he, like his whole kink is like, he wants to like be the carpet and people step on him and, and that whole thing. So like, you know, I, it's not like, yeah. And, and I was just like, oh, that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And I'm sure the more you see it and the more you do, so you're like, nothing shocks me. Anymore. Yeah. There's nothing shocking. So I kind of fell into it that way. Um, and then what I kind of started to experience is, you know, I mentioned I don't have boobs at all. And that was something that I was always really self-conscious of. And when I started doing Ariel, the style in New York was for like to wear like multiple bras to make it look like you had Mm -hmm. boobs and even for corporate events to, you know, go there. And then I started to not. And because I didn't really wear bras in daily life um, because I'm kind of like, well, like I want, I, I like you know, to fuck men and I don't want them to see me and it looks like I have boobs. And then like, I have that moment of like, surprise, there's nothing there. And so I didn't like fake a boob (laughs) in my real life. And so I really wanted to stop faking boobs on stage. Mm -hmm. And I had an amazing experience at the box in London where somebody came up to me and, and said that, seeing me with my naked body on stage made them feel so much more confident about themselves because they also didn't have boobs. Um, and it's so rare to see that kind of like femme representation, um, and to see somebody empowered and being sexy and strong and badass on stage with a whole crowd of people like worshiping and wanting to fuck me basically it was like this really powerful experience for them and so even though I still especially now when I do burlesque stuff and I'm like I take the cups off the bra or I take a bra off and I'm like ah it's just nipples yeah like (laughs) but like if I do it with confidence like that's it's you know that's my body and um you know you don't have to have boobs to be a woman Um, and so, and that's what I really love about burlesque. And, you know, I mentioned I was an anorexic ballerina and I've been through a lot of hating my body and not being, feeling good in my body. And I think it's also the age that I'm in and I am and how we came up with like Kate Moss and these other heroin heroin chic. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, burlesque is really about accepting the body in whatever form it is in and not just accepting it, but celebrating it. Mm-hmm. And so to be surrounded by so much nudity of bodies of so many different shapes and sizes is like the most healing thing that could ever happen <laughs> to a formerly anorexic ballerina who literally had people saying, you're fat, you're, you know, this is too big, that's too big, you know, um, So there's that. And then kind of going back to this, you know, my experience as like being this pretty abused, sexualized teenage ballerina um, where, you know, there it was and it was a male director um, to now where I am in control of my sexuality and my body and what people are looking at and how they're looking at it. um, It feels like I mean this is a little cheesy but it feels it's like a very healing thing for me to do I don't think that's cheesy at all um yeah and it's and and I think it's interesting because you can put you know my body as that 16 year old on you know a very celebrated stage with a celebrated choreographer and it's art but 
the work that I do now is very censored. You know, I'm shadow banned on Instagram all the time. And maybe I'm wearing, I'm wearing less coverage than I was in that ballet company, but I'm way more empowered. I think my relationship with the work that I'm doing and with the audience is coming from like a place of real authenticity and, um, and I think, so I, I started to really dig into this and I looked, I don't know how I went down this rabbit hole, but I found out that a lot of the, well, the, the ballerinas painted by Degas were essentially sex workers. Um, and um, all these paintings where there's men kind of in the dance studio, those were the patrons and poor families would want their little girls to become ballerinas because then they would hope that they would do well enough to have a patron who would then pay for a better life, mm-hmm. you know, in exchange for. And The OG sugar daddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, great, you know, and then you look at how Balanchine treated women and, you know, um, so many, like, this is like a long history that I come from. And um, I, so I recently created a burlesque aerial act, um, and it's been brewing in my mind, and this is not the complete version, but um, I start um, kind of sitting, bent over, tying a point shoe in a big giant tutu, um, which is a classic Degas image. And as the lights come up and I stand up, you realize that um, there's a man in a suit and I'm sitting on him. Oh. And then he gets up and we do a, a very classic pas de deux. And then he comes and he helps undress me, but in a way where it's very clear that I want him to. Okay. And um, I'm very much in control of that, and he's serving me. And I push him down at a certain point, and I put um, a fishnet over his face, and then I sit on, on him again, and I have, you know, I've removed my tutu and everything, and he's helped me, and I put on fishnets. And I put them on really slowly while I'm sitting on him. And, you know, this is this is me saying I know that, you know, back in the day I was being objectified and people were, you know, going home and jerking off to, like, these images of me. But now I know. And I'm inviting you to do so. Watch Bye. me slowly extend my leg up oh while I God. put the fishnet on because I know this is what's happening anyway. And you know what? You should because I'm really hot. Oh, my God. And you should worship me, and you should give me all your money. Yes, bitch. And then he walks me down, you know, and I go up in the air, and then I do I do this um, aerial act that's really all about my legs and my legs and point shoes, which is a fetish that people have. And it's, it's, it's being really honest and acknowledging mm-hmm. what the fuck was going on back in the day, but now it's like we're all in on it. Yeah. We're, not, we're not pretending that you're just watching, like, ballet and that's so nice like this is sexy as fuck Mm -hmm. let's all acknowledge that it's really hot and you're gonna go home and think about it some more that's so cool that is such an interesting way to modernize the oldest industry we have um so the box it's 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 largely kink based sexual burlesque like what is it different every time like what yeah what's happening at the box so the box is is Actually, it's so brilliant. Um, it is, on the surface, it's a nightclub that you have to pay a lot of money to get a good seat at. Like okay. a crazy amount of money to get a good seat at. And then you see a variety show. And there's an MC with some backup dancers. And that show begins at 1.30 in the morning. Oh, my God. Act 2 begins around like 2.15, 2.30. So, yeah. It's a nightclub. There's bottle service. There's the whole thing. Um and the acts that are put on stage, the whole point is to kind of hold up a mirror to this crowd. And the crowd is there, you know, they're people who can spend thousands of dollars to get their seat or the people who can't spend that money and they're like shoved in the back. Like, you know, it's like um, Nikki calls them general admission, okay. you know, and they don't have a great view and they're like actually more excited for the performance than the rich assholes who have spent a ton of money. Um, and so you'll see some of the most disturbing and shocking acts on stage and there's either drugs, sex or violence. Like those are, those are the three, like an act fall, falls under one of those categories or shock, like, you know, um, 
a circus performer who swallows a sword and then does, you know, aerial straps while he has the sword inside of him and does a backflip, back like just wild. Um, and usually the aerial acts, if they're not something insane like that, there's some sort of story. And, you know, the story that you're telling, again, has to be like sex, drugs, violence, shock. Um and they work really hard to balance out the show. So you have like something really graphic, you know, um, it could be, you know, one of Rosewood's brilliant but very disturbing numbers um, where, you know, there's like poop involved in a lot of it. Um, Hell yeah, dude. Oh yeah, lots of poop. Um, or, you know, like Ashley Ryder sitting on a traffic cone. Um, and you're like, how, how are your insides okay? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Um, like, you know, that kind of thing. And then usually, like, the aerial acts have some sort of very cheesy story or, you know, something to basically get, like, a hot naked body spinning in the air. Um, and so when That's you're right. booked at the box, you're booked for the, the week. Um, so you do your act in the show for the week um, and and – kind of like once you're a performer in rotation then they'll work with you to create several acts so I have several acts that are in rotation and so then they'll be like hey okay are you free this week we want to book you to do this act so cool I can't wait to come see you in it I'm dying I'm I have to come I'm like I'm dying to see this because it sounds really interesting but like what is it hard to perform for these rich assholes who are just so above it all, like in the front? Or do they kind of, do you break them down a little bit? Well, I, yeah, I mean, some of them are just so drugged up and drunk that they don't <laughs> get it. Um, you know, but it, you know, it's like, I think Rosewood's acts are the most, like that really like kind of the ones who get it, like really get the brilliance of it, where it's like she'll be doing all these drugs, you know, the fake drugs at stage, right? But like she like can't get high enough or she can't get off and there's like this frustration and it's like literally like holding a mirror up to them. Like Yeah. Like Do people respond well to it or do they not does it go over their head? It's all like all of that happens because everybody's at a different place in their life. Yeah, totally. On different drugs. Totally. Right. And so some people won't get it at all. Some people will just be like, Oh my god, I saw a a I don't know if it was a man or a woman and, whoa, and they were pooping and they did this and oh my god. Right. And they kind of don't get it. And then some people will be like, That was fucking brilliant art. Yeah. So cool. So cool. How do you build trust with like new performers that you're working with? Because it is such a high risk situation and like the chance of being hurt is so high. What What's the process of building trust with a partner that you're doing like an aerial performance with? Um, I'm pretty particular about who I trust my body with. So if it's a partner either on the ground or in the air, like I am generally not going to just jump into something with them. I'm going to feel them out as a person. It's like more serious than dating. Yeah. What are you looking for? <laughs> like, what is a red flag for you? Um, you really want to see that somebody cares more about your safety than how they look. I feel like that's a good, good phrase to keep in mind for any situation you're in. Yeah. Dating, <laughs> friends, life, collaborators. So tell me about, you know... Uh, looking at the year ahead like where are you headed to next what are your some of your most exciting performances you haven't coming up and like where do you want you know people to come see you at and perform at well I'm based in New York um and so when I'm there I'm at the slipper room which is my kind of creative home I'm there about three times a month uh sometimes more and it's real magical because there's no stage manager. We're pulling curtain for each other. The person running lights and sound has no way of actually communicating with us backstage. Um, and it's where a lot of us workshop new ideas, test things out. You know, sometimes if we're tired, we just run something more comfortable. But it's really the most special place. And I produce a show there every couple months or so. Um, it's called the Underground Cabaret. And we started doing it right as COVID. We were, like, allowed to do shows. And it became apparent really quickly that everybody needed joy. Like, New York was really deeply traumatized by COVID. And I remember we booked an act that we had loved pre-COVID, but it's a very dark act. And it just didn't go over well with the audience coming out of COVID. And my co-producer, Elizabeth Munn, and I kind of touched base after. And we said, yeah, people are not okay. And we just need to lean in hard on joy, beauty. Maybe sexy is fine, but we can't go dark. 
Yeah. And it's been incredible. Um, my mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer shortly after we started the show and that show and the hosts, I have the main attraction and Ivory Fox hosting and they're both burlesque legends and they're hilarious. They're these incredible women and my co-producer Elizabeth Munn. And then we have Jacob McGee, who's like our assistant. And we, um, have started to, we have like a paper plan for our opening number and it's a, mostly improvised group number that gets more absurd every time we do it. It's sort of like sketch comedy without speaking. Mm-hmm. And um, that not only like grounded me, I think it, it grounded a lot of people who just needed to laugh and be silly and not take ourselves too seriously. And so, yeah, so that's my show. I'm so excited to see it. I'm so yeah. sorry about your mom. Yeah, that was a transformative experience for sure. Um, and she was incredible because she told me in one sentence that she had terminal cancer and that she didn't want me to stop performing. And um, that really, my my community really got me through and yeah. supported me and, and held me through it um, so much. And um, and it, it really helped me kind of like prioritize and focus. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I'm kind of, I've been sneaking, I'd say more like artsy performance art stuff into the nightlife and, um, illegitimate theater world. And so I'm starting to collect it all into a concept for a show. Well, I'm excited to see it. What's something that you want people to know about the art form of like being an aerial and burlesque that maybe is misunderstood or that you know they might they just might not know about yeah well I think like you were asking me before do I have an agent no (laughs) like we're, we're so niche that it's really like we're all hustling hard yeah um so I'm considered one of the top aerialists in New York but I'm still hustling my butt off our rates are not as good as they used to be Um, so like anybody who goes to a burlesque show or a nightlife tip us, Mm -hmm. put some money in my thong. It is a sign of respect, (laughs) not disrespect. I love that. Like show your appreciation for the arts by tipping the performers. Um, ticket sales don't necessarily help us out that much. Good to know. That's a great, that's a great thing to leave on. Where can people find you? Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm Kai Gwen, K-Y-G-W-E-N. Okay. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. And we'll see you next week on Globe Thoughting with Kelsey Frank. <laughs>